Joining me today is one of our hosts, George. How are we going? Very well, thank you. And Yumna. Hi, everyone. Glad to be back. Good to be here as well. Um, you would have heard right there in our um, in our intro the some of the grabs from the school strikes for climate from previous years, which are of course back this uh, today here in Melbourne and in other places around Australia. Um, big show coming up today, guys. Um, we're going to be starting off after this break um, talking about uh, Israel and Palestine uh, with Yumna and then moving on to some chat about vaccination passports with George before we get into the state budget. But before we do all that, I'd like to acknowledge that we are on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. This land was never ceded and we'd like to acknowledge, us, acknowledge elders past, present and emerging and reinforce uh, our commitment to platforming Indigenous voices and including Indigenous voices in the national political landscape. Um, today, how are, we, how are we feeling, guys? It's a Friday? It's a Friday. Um, a lot to talk about. Uh, there was a very well done episode last week by Softel, which I had the pleasure of listening to. Um, but I think the international stage, there couldn't be any more conflicts or more to talk about than there is currently. Yeah, it's uh, we've got plenty on our plate. Yumna, how are you feeling? Um, it's Friday, but actually it doesn't even matter because of all the international conflicts that's been going on. So um, it kind of makes us, uh, well, I don't know about you guys, but it kind of makes me feel guilty sitting here in my own advantage, um, my own safety bubble. But yeah. Well, like you said, it is a Friday, but there's plenty of other things going on. So let's not waste any time. We'll get into our first song. This is Alice Guy with Party Tricks. You are on Represent. That was Party Tricks by Alice Skye. You're, you're listening to Represent here on scene with myself, Yumna, George and Tao. Uh, now, most of you are aware of the Palestine and Israel conflict that has been going on. Um, not sure what you've been all listening to, but um, pretty much everyone knows about the conflict, about the death tolls. Uh, and now that the ceasefire has been announced a um, few hours um, Friday morning, um, Still, uh, in my opinion, that shouldn't be an end to everything just because a ceasefire has been announced. Um, in more, uh, more of a like, it's, it's a start to something new. Like it's it's a start for everyone that's been affected, especially the Palestinians um, and like everyone who's lost their loved ones in this conflict um, here and overseas. Um, it's a start to something. It's um, it's a hope for a decision to be made mm -hmm. for the, especially a positive um, decision for the Palestinians. Um, does this, does, um, obviously there's been ceasefires in the yeah. past, in 2014 and the wars previous. Does this ceasefire feel different this time? Um, yes, I think there can be, a, it can be a different ceasefire in, um, because like there has been protests all over the world, like we haven't seen this kind, this much protest and solidarity with the Palestinians um, over the years. Um, I mean, this conflict has been ongoing, but um, more than ever, like right now, it's gained more um, attention because of um, social media platforms like Instagram and Facebook. People have been resharing and talking about um, about this situation uh, and just resharing information, and especially. Um, Palestinians over there, yeah, over there in Gaza, that who are going through this stuff, they've been coming on social media, um, you know, going live, showing everyone what's been happening. Because of course, um, it's a really dangerous place to be, and not everyone, um, like, it's not as 
it's not as the same as you know someone sitting on nine years and talking about it. It's not the same because obviously they have first-hand experience of it. They're going through the conflict. So yeah. Um, and yeah. The- you go, Sorry, I was just going to add quickly to that. Um, yes, like I completely agree that there's one side where there's been a lot of solidarity worldwide, um, but from the Palestinian standpoint, there's also a few struggles um, from the more political and military aspect in this sense that um, throughout previous, especially U.S. administrations, um, there have been deals with surrounding nations, including Egypt and UAE and I believe Qatar, uh, which essentially used to all support Palestine previously and kind of built a Arab kind of solidarity around Palestine. However, now they've made deals with Israel in the hope of being against Iran. Um, so from one standpoint, yes, they've been gaining a lot of international solidarity. But the other point, Palestinians have never been more isolated in the Middle East than they are right now, which um, poses such a significant problem for them because previously they um, may have had more military support, but now they're relying on Hamas and maybe a little bit of Hezbollah in the Middle East, apart from having actual nation states supporting them as and, well. And, and, dis- and despite what the Israel army would probably have you believe the military might of Palestine isn't actually that big. No, it's <laughs> no, not I at think, all. I think that's and yeah, you know, and, and like you said just then, that's why you know these other Arab nations from around the area aren't aligning so closely with Palestine and are moving to Israel to counter that other geopolitical threat yeah. of Iran, which is such a big power um, in the in the area. And um, yeah. People will use this, you know. They'll be like, um, "Oh well, Palestine has this this many." people like this many supporters um they'll look at the amount like like numbers they look for example every like all the protests that have been ha- have been happening all over the world they'll be like well palestine has this 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 where israel has like alone for example it's not just which which i think you know that is that is part of that dominant um narrative um of that, that zionist narrative that israel is alone in that part of the world and to a certain extent um they are they are alone yeah. um in terms of like creating that that land but they're not alone in 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 terms of how large they are how powerful they are and exactly being alone these days in a globalized world doesn't just mean that you're alone um geographically like yeah. like they're not lonely in terms of politics, they've got some very nice allies, the US being yeah. the most important. Um, the, nothing speaks more to that than Joe Biden's response to this conflict in itself. Uh, he, do, he does call for peace, but on one hand, he calls for peace a ceasefire. Um, on the other hand, when the UN proposed a resolution, uh, the US didn't sign that or ratify it. And on in top fact, of they pushed back multiple times. They multiple times. Multiple he calls times. for a ceasefire, but he doesn't actually. <laughs> when it comes to the legislature, it doesn't go any more towards it. And then on top of that, um, it goes to speaking about how um, the the way Joe Biden words his speeches towards the conflict in itself, it's always Israel has the right to defend themselves rather than yeah. Palestine has the right to defend themselves. There's always that little Israeli undertone, which largely speaks to the large um, donations and like the large influence that like the Zionists um, members have in the United States and in other Western powers around the world. Um, in response to that, George, um, everyone's been saying, especially politics, uh, politically, like people who are involved, they've been saying Israel has the right to self-defense, which angers me a lot. But then in return, um, Palestinians have the right to live, you know. 
You yeah. can't just say that. You have all the military force. You have all the weapons. You have a big nation such as、um, a powerful nation as America, as a supporter, as number one supporter. I mean, America has given um, Israel um, millions of dollars in support of all this, in support to like you know massacre the Palestinians. And you can't compare. There is no comparison between missiles and you know rocks. Yeah, they,、exactly. the people over there have like literally nothing to self-defense against, and when they、um, When they are forced to self-defense themselves, when they are forced to, like you know,、uh, protect themselves and their loved ones to, to the point where they have to swap their own children, so at least one of them can live.、Um, you know, what else can they do if you're trapped in this tiny place? Yeah, you can't. You're not free to move anywhere. You can't go out of that strip, or Gaza Strip, or、um, wherever you are in、um, Palestine. But like, you, what else are you expected to do if、yeah. you know? It, if rocks are the only Sorry, yeah, no, <laughs> sorry. It's it's important to note that this is almost、um, Palestinian. I don't mean to say this in a derogatory or discriminatory matter, but it's almost a generational culture of being、um, almost second class citizens within their own lands. In、exactly. the sense where it's such a generational obstacle that it's always apartheid. It's always you know laws for Israelis, laws for different laws for Palestinians. And it's it's been described as an open air prison in many、yeah. um, forms, which is just what can, what else can the ceasefire do? It's it's no more progress than any other ceasefire has happened. It's an eighty year long conflict. I I can't see much else changing from previous generations either. I think and、uh, not not many people on the ground there. I don't think could see much changing either.、Mm. Um, it's the most、uh, stubborn of conflicts, and it's not、yeah. going anywhere anytime soon. Um, thank you both for um, for um, giving your thoughts on that. It's obviously a very difficult issue and a very personal issue for people as well. So,、um, thank you both for that. You are and represent.、Uh, this is Sin's political program. Coming up after this, we're going to be talking about the states setting vaccine targets for potentially reopening borders. George is going to be taking us through that. But right now, a new one from Melbourne favourite Floodlights. This is Overflowing Cup. That was Overflowing Cup by Floodlights. To go into, I guess, a little bit more of a lighter topic, we are going to be discussing the New South Wales vaccine targets and the reopening of international borders.、Um, as we know, the vaccination rollout in Australia has been quite. Not exactly up to speed, especially. Oh, that's in- very kind words. Very <laughs>、well, kind words. Very、there. kind <laughs> words. Yeah, we're a diplomatic show like that.、Um, but yeah, in comparison to other countries in the world, we have not been exactly performing、uh, to a very good standard. There's been about three million、uh, vaccines rolled out of only the single dose in itself in Australia. And remind us, George, what was the what was the initial target? What were we told originally was going to be the target? For oh the yeah, in、rollout? in April. <laughs> we were only we were only three point five million short of our initial target in April,、um, so that just speaks to <laughs> lengths of how miserable this vaccine rollout has been. Obviously, there's a number of reasons behind that. There's been vaccine hesitancy, just the admis- administrational errors of it, and then blockages of vaccinations from some Italian. That prime president, <laughs> of, know, some Italian dude,、um, and yeah, basically, it does raise the significant issue of international borders within Australia.、Uh, Gladys Berejiklian, the New South Wales pr-、uh, Premier, 
has claimed that there'd have to be a target of five million uh, New South Wales citizens uh, to be vaccinated before they can even look at reopening uh, their part of Australian borders, uh, which kind of speaks to arms about the rest of Australia and how long it will take for Australians to reopen its international borders. Um, basically, there's been a new poll that came out from The Guardian Australia, which said that roughly 30% of Australians are unlikely to actually take the vaccine in itself, which does, which is not necessarily the worst-case scenario because a lot of other nations are suffering with even higher amounts of vaccine hesitancy. But on top of that, it, experts claim that roughly only 60% of the population have to be fully vaccinated to actually prevent the or eliminate the um, virus in Australia. So we're... we're if it's only sixty percent, we're still on a pretty it's a pretty thin margin that we're working yeah. on. If thirty percent are saying they're hesitant about getting it, it only takes one AstraZeneca the AstraZeneca blood clots, which they are getting on top of now, they're getting a better understanding of it. But all it takes is one major stuff up like the AstraZeneca yeah. announcement to go to the comms to tip that to tip that balance. And all of a sudden it's not Seventy percent of people that are wanting to get vaccinated, it's dropping yeah. to to sixty yeah. and fifty. Well, on top of that, you know, seventy percent of Australians, let's say best case scenario, want it. It's going to take a long time for that seventy percent to get it because a lot of those people uh, will be within you know the eighteen to twenty four age group and won't begin the vaccination until a year's time. They said that, Berejiklian said that they hope to get to that kind of target by mid-next year, which is slightly optimistic, but it does kind of come after mounting pressure from the Virgin Australia boss who said something along the lines of saying uh, Australia needs to reopen its borders, you know, obviously for their private interests, but it does kind of show that the international order does need to reopen. You're missing, you're missing the the sauciest part of the quote there. She said, "You know, even if some people die inevitably, you know, we yeah. still open the borders." That was the sauciest yeah. part of it. Which it's is- like, yeah, that quote where it's like some of. Um, some of you are going to die, but that's a sacrifice I'm willing to take or something <laughs> like that. Yeah, um, so that goes into the form of, I guess, Virgin Australian morals. But uh, you and I'll throw it to you. Is the mid-next year kind of a realistic target for um, Australia to reopen its borders? Because that is what Gladys um, Berejiklian has claims for. Do you think we'll be able to achieve that goal? Um, at this moment, um, I don't know, because uh, I'm hesitant to get the vaccine. I mean, um, looking at the cases of the blood clotting and everything, um, I'm hesitant. I'm, like, concerned for my safety. I'd rather not take the vaccine uh, and rather not travel um, than, you know, go through uh, blood clotting and everything, like all the side effects of the vaccine. Is it specifically Um, the AstraZeneca um, one that that you'd be hesitant about? Yes. I mean, there has been 24 cases, which is not much, but still it's it's a concern. Like people are are getting the vaccine to be like COVID safe, like COVID free. But then like we have one case where our lady died because of that um, blood clotting clotting, um, side effect. Um, I mean, like, there's an irony right there, but I'd rather not travel and, you know, stay where I am at yeah. home. If you were offered the <laughs> Pfizer one, which is most likely the ones that we will get, would you be more inclined to take that one instead? If Yeah. Yeah? Yeah, yeah it's, it's not... <laughs> and there's a, yeah. yeah, and there's the, the Moderna one as well. They're saying they're, they've secured 10 million doses of That's Moderna. That's not going to come till next year. It's though, not going to come to next year, but there's some interesting messaging coming out of, like, Greg Hunt and stuff who are kind of... While they're... They're not pushing a very hard line on vaccinations, right? They're not. They're not pushing a, a very hard line 
I suppose, for fear of impinging on people's free will. What that's done is there's a lot of vaccine hesitancy. But it's reinforced by this messaging, by this messaging of like Greg Hunt, which you know, they're coming out with things that are kind of saying like, oh, you know, like there'll be a lot of vaccines soon, so people can kind of like make the choice that's best for them. Yeah. Like it's like people can pick and choose, and you know, hey, you got the Pfizer? Like, is the Pfizer good? Like, yeah. you know, like it's picking out two options. The the rest of the world, they have, you know, USA probably have like five different options you can choose out for the vaccine. How has Australia only got two? confirm two vaccines um, to come to Australia when we've got a range of, like, the Novavax, the Moderna, all these mRNA uh, vaccine technology, and we are still stuck with two, one of which we're not sure about the safety of and whether it actually prevents mutations in South Africa, um, the South African mutation, I mean. Um, and then the only other one we have is the Pfizer one, which is a very slow rollout in itself. So it's kind of hard to know what's going on there and we can't really see more vaccinations um going up in terms of how many we get uh how many australians get vaccinated i suppose one of the ways to speed that up though is of course rolling out the mass vaccination centers and enlisting yeah. more gps which they've started to do but we're still not seeing much of an uptake yeah especially you know, in victoria the numbers you know when you see that daily thing of you know zero covid cases five thousand tests 3,000 dose, vaccine doses administered. Like, it's not much. Yeah. And there's a report last week of a nurse at the um, at the Melbourne Exhibition Centre who did one in an eight-hour shift. Yeah, like people yeah. Just, people just are not going. And there's a lot of people who AstraZeneca is safe for. Yeah. You know, or, or just under half of the population, it is safe for them. Yeah. Well, um, the... Rest assured, the, the AstraZeneca, in my eyes, is a, fa- is a, is a safe vaccine because, you know... It's a pretty disproportionate amount of blood clotting to the amount of people who have actually taken the vaccine in itself. So there's that part of the story as well that uh, we can go to. But just quickly before we wrap this up, also quickly the travel passports Mm. that have been thrown around by Scott Morrison around a few state governments and federal governments. Not quite sure what's happening in there, but we will have to see for the future. We'll wrap this segment up right now and we'll go into a new song called In the Stone by Lagoon Sacks. You're listening to the Represent Since Flagship Political Program with Yuma, Tell and George. Welcome back to Represent. You are on Sin. That right there was The Goon Sacks with In the Stone, a new one by them off our Sweet 16. I had the pleasure of catching up earlier today with Mark Yin from Youth Affairs Council Victoria to unpack a little bit about the state budget and the impact that it's going to have on young Australians. Here's my chat with Mark. I'm speaking with Mark Yin, who is a young spokesman and peer facilitator at the Youth Affairs Council Victoria. Mark, thanks for being with us. Great to be here. Um, there's a big, uh, big spending in this, uh, this year's state budget. Uh, Represent wants to know, are young people's interests and welfare being represented in the 2021 budget? Yeah, look, I think the budget is representing young people's interests quite well. We know that um, last year, 2020, was really, really difficult for young people. Um, We had a lot of things disrupted. You know, our school uh, education was disrupted. Our work was disrupted. um, Our social lives were really, really disrupted. So coming out of that year, I think that this budget is a really great first step to kind of getting young people as a cohort back on track. Um, I think that the big spending in mental health, for example, is a really significant, like, historic commitment to young people's mental health. And I think that, you know, that's a really good sign that the challenges from last year are being taken into account um, with this budget and moving forward. 
Um, so yeah, ultimately, like I do think it's a quite a good budget for young people, and that um, the money being spent will help us as a cohort. One of the other things that uh, has been highlighted as a as a massive issue, um, of course, something that is going to affect young people in the future, but something that they themselves are saying is going to affect them in the future, and they want action on is climate change. Um, what steps have been taken uh, in line with uh, the state government's commitment to climate action? Yeah, so as far as I know, the budget committed like $100 million, right, to reduce, to reduce emissions by about, you know, 30, 33% by 2025, and again, by like 45, 50% by 2030. Um, I think, again, like a lot of the other spending in the budget, this is a really great first step to come out of a year where, you know, obviously the economy faced a lot of struggles and we weren't able to kind of have a clear picture of what would happen with COVID. Right now that the recession is sort of coming to an end and acknowledging that uh, it's still affecting a lot of people. But, you know, as we talk about it in economic terms, the recession is coming to an end. Um, This is, again, like a good first step to getting us towards reduced emissions. And um, I think it'll be interesting to kind of see what comes even in next year's budget, because I'm very conscious next year is the election year, you know, and um, it would be great to see more action on this as a young person. So, yeah. Um, I absolutely agree with that. Um, where Youth Affairs Council obviously um, are representing young people. Um, I'd like to know, and this is not a, a gotcha question in any way directed at the government mm-hmm. or anything, but um, was there any consultation um, that you know of between the state government um, and your organisation in terms of uh, the framing of this budget and where any of the money was going to be directed towards? Um, yeah, look, I don't know that Youth Affairs Council was consulted on the budget specifically. I do know that in late 2020, we did a lot of consulting around the Victorians, uh, Victorian government's new state youth strategy. And um, some of the things in this budget, we are seeing already addressing what's come out of that strategy. Um, we're looking forward to the strategy being released later this year. And um, yeah, further expenditure sort of over the next few years, um, meeting what that strategy has you know, said about young people. Mark, thank you so much for that. Um, Hopefully this budget will continue to deliver for young Australians. And like you said, uh, next year at a state level and potentially federal as well, coming to an election year, we'll see what's what's on offer for for young people going forward. Um, Thank you again uh, for your time, Mark. Absolutely. Thank you. That was Mark Ian from the Youth Affairs Council of Victoria. Uh, You've been on Represent. Stay tuned. Stay tuned for right now. That was me earlier today talking to Mark Ian from the Youth Affairs Council of Victoria. Um, gave us a nice little wrap-up there of the state budget. But before we get to analysing that, I'd like to welcome Viet into the studio. Hello, Viet. Hello, hello. Hopefully you didn't miss me too much. Nah, I mean, we we do miss your face whenever you're not here. But <laughs> it's good to have you back in. Um, state government uh, released their budget yesterday on Thursday. Did you get a chance to chat, uh, catch much of it? You yeah. see the big launch? Yeah, of course. I mean, I mean, who doesn't get excited over being locked up before analysing the budget? You know? <laughs> <laughs> gotta, gotta get in there oh, to be and in know the what bu- the government's doing with your money. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a, it's a good question. Uh, what is the government going to be doing with our money? Um, the answer is spending a lot of money on mental health services. That is the big ticket item coming out of, uh, of this year's budget. Um, there was the review last year, the, there was the Royal Commission into Mental Health, uh, which released a lot of different findings. Um, and in can... Uh, following on from that uh, and also reports from the Productivity Commission um, the state government has contributed uh, a, a lot of funds to, to mental health which is really um, exciting and has been welcomed by the industry. We've got $487 million to establish a network of regional adult mental health centres $278 million for the expansion of Headspace, 
Headspace Youth Services for over 25s. 288 million for repetitive. Oh, I'm just going to do the RTMS, a treatment for depression. Uh, and more than 100 million each for digital mental health services and group therapy. Supporting the participation of family and carers. So a lot of really big stuff there. Was there anything else that um, you guys picked up from the budget that you saw coming out? Um, that Yeah, in terms of education, uh, there was a few losses, especially for regional mm. parts of Victoria. Um, there was something like only, I think it was 18 of the 52 uh, school upgrades were outside of Melbourne, which kind of in terms of the proportion to schools outside of Melbourne um, in regional maybe doesn't equate, but then again, it's a minor discrepancy that I probably have with the whole budget in itself. There's also some things about the um, the NDIS uh, scheme, uh, which doesn't exactly support uh, y- young Australians who have been in the Judas, um, who have been uh, convicted of crimes um, they've been taken back a bit from it but apart from that there haven't been too many other updates that I think were of any surprise I think it's quite interesting uh, the the response to the mental health um, budget items and how they're going to be paying for that which is a, uh, a levy um, yeah I find that very interesting and that was what piqued mm. my interest because it is basically in terms of funding um, they're going to be finding a permanent source of funding from payroll taxes mm-hmm. so if you're a business who um, who pays more than $10 million in payroll tax mm-hmm. you have to pay an extra levy yeah, or wa- was it wages or payroll tax? Payroll tax, payroll tax. I believe um, and then in terms of stamp duty um, if you make gains on a property that is more than $2 million worth you will also pay an extra levy um, on top of that um, stamp duty as well. Which, so, as we know, in Melbourne, two million sounds like a lot, but there's a lot of houses that are going for upwards of two million. Uh, there's no worries at all. Yeah, and you know, I find it interesting because you know, contrast that with the federal budget, mm. you've got a lot of big spending items like the NDIS, the National Disability Insurance Scheme. Um, and and they shied away from a levy in that in that case. Yeah, they shied away from a levy from that case. And in terms of the sta- state budget, the Victorian state budget, at least you've got something that will hopefully put back the balance, uh, sorry, the budget back into a structural surplus mm-hmm. through that uh, extra revenue through um, the levy. And that, but, and, that, and that levy, is that, you know, obviously over the, over the coming years, um, you know, that me- those mental health services are going to be paid for by that levy. Is that levy going to be something that we see moving forward, like becoming a more, like you said, a more permanent part of the structure of the of the tax system here in Victoria? Well, given how it's been planned for and legislated for, it's going to be a permanent thing, and especially when housing prices are constantly going up. Um, so that means that guarantees stamp duty uh, revenue to an extent. And in terms of the payroll tax, that is more aimed at the bigger um, bigger businesses. Mm-hmm. And so as businesses come and come out of the corona recession, that's going to be an extra source of revenue. So that source of revenue will grow as the economy grows. So it's a, it's a structural boost mm-hmm. to the revenues of the state, which is sorely needed because I think... Uh, mental health funding really needs a permanent revenue base. It's. I did see something in the conversation today which um, did celebrate the fact that, um, you know, yes, this is fantastic. We do have all of this new um, funding for mental health services, 
but they made the quite simple point that you know mental health has been on the agenda yes it has been underfunded for many years but it's been on the agenda for you know 15 20 years about something that we need to look at yeah. obviously you nowhere it's not as it's not been as much of an agenda item as it is today but funding has always gone up they've not been cutting funding to mental health services yet mental health is deteriorating and so they made a the pretty interesting point that yes it's all about allocation like Yes, all this funding can be going into mental health, but it's all about allocation. So I think we just have to hope that the kind of structural changes and what's come out of the Royal Commission as well is hopefully going to um, is hopefully going to have some improvements in mental health in our in our state. Yeah, hopefully it cements the changes that we need to see in the mental health space. Mm. I mean, it's a good um, investment for Australia's future. It's a good um, econ- economic benefit and social benefit for those. Um, so I think the people who are kind of against or not happy with this decision, um, the challenges, I feel like they're just like so selfish. Um, <laughs> I feel like, yeah, this is a really positive thing that should have been done ages ago, but I'm glad um, we took this decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and totally. Now. Because economists in the age have predicted, so from reporting from the age, predicted that every year, $14 million dollars the cost of mental health each year to the economy is $14 million. That's a lot of money. And because we don't see mental health, we don't, um, we, you know, it's not a tangible thing we see, you know, so it's hard to imagine that cost. Um, But imagine that $14 million being ripped out of our budget every year. Costs are, costs are pretty hard to imagine. Um, and obviously with the federal budget, there was a lot of talk about, you know, the debt and deficit that came along with the federal budget, which got released last week. Um, you know, the state here has equally been bor- borrowing at a, at a really high, um, uh, at a large rate. Um, but also, they're, you know, they're borrowing at a, very, at a time of very low interest rates. So even though the state is racking up pretty large debts, um, they will be able to... Um, I was reading a term today, counter-cyclical fiscal policy, which is, you know, when there is a downturn, when there is a recession, don't follow that. Don't be fiscally conservative. Um, open the checkbook and, um, and let rip because that's what's going to get the economy going. Yeah. And if you or anyone you need needs help, please remember to call Lifeline on 13 11 14 and Beyond Blue on 1300 224636. Thanks for yet. You're on Represent. This one right now is Rainbow Rock by The Babe Rainbow, part of our Sweet 16 feature album this week. Stick around. That was Rainbow Rock by Babe Rainbow. You're listening to Represent here on Sin with Yumna, Tal, George and myself in the studio. Um, Now, just as a bit of a conclusion to the show, I thought we'd touch on about the... um, um, school's Climate Action Rally today um, wasn't really publicised that much um, up until um, driving into the CBD um, just before the show and getting caught up in traffic. I was like, hmm, I wonder how, how I'm getting caught in traffic. I don't recall it being this bad. And turns out it was the climate rally happening in the CBD. It's happening nationwide today. Um, a lot of school students um, are going on strike from school to make their opinions about the climate inaction by the government known. Just quickly, um, as you said, with getting caught in traffic, a lot of people don't understand the point of protest in itself. 
protests are meant to be disruptive. Mm-hmm. They're meant to cause an outrage mm-hmm. among everyone of society and get everyone to notice about the issue. So when you hear things about saying our oh, protests should be only organized in private areas or, you know, away from the public so it doesn't cause disruption, so that's actually counter-effective to what a protest actually is. Mm-hmm. A lot yeah. of people wanted to be counter want that exactly to be counter-effective. I, re- I remember being in a terminal in an airport once and there was delays because yeah. French, uh, a French airline was uh, was striking and I remember the people <laughs> in the terminal being like, don't they know I need to get home? Like, yeah, what are yeah, they exactly. doing this for? It's yeah. like, yeah, that's exactly why they exactly. do it. Exactly. How else are you going to get attention for yeah. the cause you're, you're going after, you know? Extinction Rebellion copped a lot. I mean, they were very active mm-hmm. a couple of years ago, blocking traffic on the way to work and I found that, you know, sometimes people were really like, what like let me get to work other times people said uh i get it this is a real issue yeah. if they're going to protest okay i'll be late to work that's the point of the protest so yeah sometimes people get it but sometimes yeah people, people it's, don't. you could link it back to any protest at rosa parks it was um all these like or even like civil rights in america they were all inconveniences to you know, white civilized society. But mm-hmm. at the end of the day, I know that's a bit of a stretch compared to the climate rally, but it just shows the lengths of how everything is an inconvenience to someone, but that's the point of the inconvenience. And that's the thing about the climate rally, because so much of our headlines these days have been dominated by the coronavirus and what's happening around the world and to an extent what's been happening here. Um, climate change has been struggling to get airtime in that environment. And so to inconvenience people for, you know, an hour maximum um, today, you know, to to make themselves known that climate change is still happening, you know, it it is a worthwhile cause to to remember because, you know, you've had headlines about the fact that, oh, you know, greenhouse gases have been stalling for the first time in so long. Yeah, they've stalled. They haven't decreased. They haven't... You know, they've only delayed climate change by, what, one or two years, really. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it hasn't done much to reverse the the damage that we're doing to our, our environment and our climate at the moment, you know? Um, and so it's, it's interesting to go on to that because the government's response to this is to use um, gas uh, or what they're terming a gas-led recovery um, so that they make sure that there is an intermediate Mm. source that is less carbon intensive but not zero carbon intensive and this and this great idea was come up with they came up with this last year when they put together some of the finest minds in australia um into the covid recovery commission i think it was called yeah Um, led by dr alan finkel yeah (laughs) Yeah. and no power you know all these people who worked in the gas industry for years and the answer they came back with was a gas-fired recovery um you know and you know the the twofold measure of them saying yep it's a gas-fired recovery to get us out of the out of the pandemic and it's also going to be a, tr- a transition fuel as we move away from uh, from uh, from fossil fuels and you know, dirty coal and um, all those kind of things. But you know the counter argument to that, and I'd like to get anyone's sort of opinion on this. Is um, so Victoria is unique in their gas reliance because mm-hmm. an article that came out earlier this week, um, late last week in the Age, said that Victoria accounts for sixty five percent of the nation's gas consumption. Do you think in that light, gas has a place in this step towards um, renewable energy, given our reliance on gas? Um, I think in the absolute, um, in the immediate short term, absolutely. 
Uh, I think you should see over in... Uh, it takes a lot of forms of different policy as well. It's not just, you know, building more batteries and, and things like that. It, it comes down to small things like um, the state government's refusal to um, properly subsidise electric vehicles in this state. It takes actions like that to normalise the use of electricity in place of things like petrol, petrol um, and, and other things like that. So it, it takes a lot of different steps um, as we move away from as we move away from gas. But um, in the short term, yes. I suppose it can be used as a transition, but the development of more gas and, you know, looking for more gas uh, and developing developing more uh, facilities to, to mine it, it's probably not the direction we should be going. Cool. Um, yeah, it will be interesting to see um, uh, what happens as a result of the... Um, gas-led recovery and to see what our transition and particularly the new climate goals um, that will be proposed in uh, Glasgow for the new succeeding agreement. Uh, Right now we've got one by Leon Bridges. This is Motorbike. You are on Represent. This is Sin. Stick around. Leon Bridges with Motorbike there. You're on CN, this is Represent, and we're just wrapping up for this week. We got into the Israel-Palestine conflict. We talked about the vaccination uh, hold-ups, the over, uh, ongoing, everlasting vaccination hold-ups here, uh, and also about the state budget, and Viet gave us uh, a quick little update on the school strikes for climate rallies. Uh, thank you for being with us today. It's been a big show. Um, it's good to be back in the, back in the studio. Um, yeah, we'll be back next week, 4 to 5. And make sure you follow us on social media as well. On, uh, on, uh, I've forgotten now. Sin represent. There we go. On Instagram, Facebook, and And Twitter. Twitter. Yeah. Don't forget that one. Hey, guys, ready? Three, two, one. Stay Stay political. political.